Hello, and welcome to the Bright Spots podcast with Bushan Kowell. It brings forward conversations and interviews with insightful people driving important changes in society and work. Topics vary a lot, but the common thread is people committed to advancing how we do things through timeless human values and purpose-driven work. Thanks for listening as we welcome the dawn of a new Monday. Welcome to another episode of the Bright Spots podcast. Those, who, those of you who have been with me over the past couple weeks have gotten acquainted with Michael Wyan and David Osborne of Team Theory. And we're joined by both of them as well as Anita Baum today of Be Free, who has been with us in the past. And we're going to be looking at today in the realm of everything from very specifically hiring, which is one of theories, great areas of concentration, as well as work as a whole, how times are changing and how we're using legacy traditional status quo systems that are broken and how they just don't serve us anymore. And what that calls for us to do in terms of deeper investigation, deeper reflection of why we do things the way we do in the work context that we can stand a chance to improve how we go about them. So without any further ado, I welcome my three guests here today. Very happy to have the three of you here. We've never done this on the Bright Spots podcast to have multiple people as guests. So it's a little bit of an experiment and we're, I'm, I'm anticipating a very fun, enjoyable conversation today. So, Oh, thanks so much for having us, Prashant. For the other folks out there who are doing their own thing in business or else, it's just a great to have people who support you and believe in you. And thank you for for being that for uh, being part of the team theory team. I, I think for starters, it's it's just so interesting. You know, we've been spending a bunch of time over the winter reflecting on where we've come from, where we've been, which is really great, and also really digging into what's really going on in the, in the world of our clients who we, we care a lot about. You know, our clients are early stage companies. They're venture backed. They've got big opportunities, bright spotlight, um, and a lot to do. And it's really challenging and they're definitely doing their best. And yet consistently stuff does not work, right? Particularly in the realm of hiring and team building. And again, they're super high capacity people who have won a lot of money and gone to prestige and gone to really smart schools and are generally like, I would also say like high consciousness people, right? They want to do a good thing in the world and, and yet they're really stuck in this space. And um, I think over the, I was just reflecting like, well, why is that? Why are, are this subset of our population who many hold up to in many ways be the future, right? I don't think it's, we're that far out until a former startup entrepreneur is the president, you know, wherever she came from. Like, I think this in many ways is the future. It's obviously getting a lot of attention. So, so what is it about these folks that's really holding them back and keeping them from doing things that serve them? Because it's, it's very clear it doesn't serve them. So, so it's something I've been thinking about a lot, um, right? Not just how do we do it, but how, even this subset of the population who has ostensibly got the best of training and coaching and advice is, is really struggling. So that's, that's one thought I have. That's great. I'm just going to jump in and throw your thanks, David. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be in dialogue, and I think that's actually something we co 
creating and co-experimenting and co-theorizing uh, to respond to this kind of question. Part of, I think, my contribution and my interest in this conversation has to do with what Weekly is response to, which, from a data perspective, you know, the fact that over half of the U.S. labor force is estimated to be a freelancer or self-employed in some capacity by 2027 is a huge cultural shift, it's a huge economic shift, and some of what we've theorized at Weekly, and, you know, we've observed, we've questioned, we've studied, is why that is the case, and what it says about exactly the question that um, and some of what we've discovered is that people are seeking meaning and purpose. That's that's part of what we're theorizing. Um, and so this moment we're in, even though it represents a challenge, I think it also represents this great opportunity um, to question, like, what is the purpose of work? What are we doing it for now? What was historically the support? Um, and as we look back, what can we learn from I think the thing I would add to, to all of that is, um, and, and um, kind of to piggyback on the theme of dialogue and co-creation in general is, and hopefully tie back to kind of one of the questions David raised, which is like, why do we do, uh, you know, we ourselves and other companies, and why do we do things that don't serve us? And especially given um, the amount of, you know, increased uncertainty, uh, arguably, you know, now versus whatever, 30 years ago, and, and which makes... Um, Search for meaning a much more uh, for a lot of people they're experiencing that as a much more proactive by necessity thing. Like you've got to go do it. It doesn't just um, come to you from existing social structures or you know your community or your whatever because things are so much more atomized, dynamic, changing quicker, whatever. And so I do think there are like you know you get stuck in this mode or not. I shouldn't say stuck, but I do think you um, often are in a, a position where it's like okay, I can like create something, or I can navigate something, like try to see what's there and figure out. And um, and you're kind of bouncing back and forth between the two all the time. And given that, um, given how how much there is, you know, how much more information there is than anyone can, any single person can command by, you know, a factor of a gentleman, you know, like dialogue is is essential to being that, right? You can't, because you can't just, you know, like, be like, oh, this doesn't work. I'm going to recreate it from the ground up in my free time for every single thing in your life. You know, every single, uh, the way we order pizza is broken app, notwithstanding. But it is, uh, it is, I mean, it is kind of an irony that, um, you know, the cliche of all of these silly apps that are reimagining the way we order pizza or the way we like get a, you know, book a doctor's appointment or the way we do this, that, or the other thing, take it for granted that you should be reimagining and, and um, finding more efficient ways to do things all the time. But when we're talking about actually large, much, much larger scale, inherited, much more deeply embedded in the culture, social structures, whether they apply to work or, or even you know, more widely than that, um, those obviously run a lot deeper. They're harder to change. Um, and that's where people just kind of accept things as the way things are. You know, so you've got like what happened last summer um, in Silicon Valley, where everyone who's, the, you know, brands themselves as the forward-thinking vanguard of the universe has super regressive, you know, hiring policies, has super um, problematic workplace discrimination issues that, because that mirror things that have been issues, all sorts of organizations for such a long time. 
Um, that stuff is a lot harder to change, and it's something that I think without without continual and proactively thought out you know dialogue doesn't get changed nearly as fast as it should. It's just not possible. Wow, very stimulating already. I feel these questions, these deeper questions of what is work, why do we do what we do, and then looking at the things that get in the way of what we'd all rather have it be, why are we doing things that don't serve us, are really, really excellent questions to be in dialogue about. And, you know, and that there's different levels of depth and what is actually changeable is, is an interesting way to look at it. I feel like we're going through such a seismic shift of, you know, just as how we orient ourselves socially and economically, as you're all alluding to. And some, some of the people who are more entrepreneurial, more startup oriented are, are in, in many ways at the vanguard of, of this shift uh, because they're seeing the broken stuff that they're leaving behind and they're, they're seeing the possibilities of a brighter future uh, by, by doing it themselves. But still the reference points are, are the ones that they grew up in. And it's like, how do, we, how do we actually venture into new territory when you don't have any references for what that is? So there's this kind of like, exploration that's taking place and there's a willingness but there's a lot of habitual stuff that goes on in the mindset that also is a big part of this change that that comes from a culture that's largely driven in an economy that's largely driven by fear you know and it's impossible to grow up in that and not absorb that and so to be working to do deconditioning and and so that you can actually do that exploration from a better place inside you is as much the challenge as, as anything else. Um, I, I want to jump in on the, the fear um, reflection, the idea that I think it's, Go ahead. Yeah. as you were talking, it occurs to me that there's kind of like a, at least the dual fold approach, right? One is like processing what has been and the existing fear and deinstitutionalizing fear, both systematizing it from ourselves as individuals and then deinstitutionalizing it um, en masse in the collective, which includes inside of our organizations, which is such a place where we do collectivize. Um, and then it's also concurrently like creating from a new space of greater possibility and uh, an acknowledgement of the abundance. But I think there's an intimate relationship between the two. I think, you know, the idea of like where you can energy creating an energy to replicating what does work or to perpetuating what does work. When you when you remove it from that space, you free it up to be able to repurpose it for creating from a space of possibility. And just a really specific reflection I've had recently is I think I've shared this with some of you, but not all of you is is you know, our, our existing systems of work, particularly post-industrialization, post two world wars, that created, you know, collectively created lot of trauma. There's a lot of trauma in our systems, individually and collectively from that. My father like grew up during that era and he spoke frequently and referenced it. And I think some of his fears and some of what I understand about a lot of our scarcity perspective actually came one way to understand it is it was grief in the wake of such a um, 
feel an incredibly uh, powerful traumatic experience for us collectively about, you know, of, of disruption. So it's really interesting to me that when I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, I wonder if we just have like a lot of unprocessed grief and a lot of that actually made its way into the ways we structure ourselves organizationally and into the way that we work. Uh, and that's not to say that the way we worked wasn't also, didn't also yield positive fruits, right? Like we did create abundance. We, you know, we progressed with some things that we created solutions that didn't exist prior to the systems that we put in place and the ways in which we organize. Um, we are much more abundant in many material ways as a product of that. But what are we with, like emotionally, spiritually, purpose-wise? You know, are we more abundant in that sense? And I've been wondering a lot about the trade-off or the relationship between those two things. It does not have to be zero-sum, but like, what is the relationship between our spiritual existence and our material? That's what purpose to me seems. I was worried with this group. It was just going to be a really basic conversation about like P&L and Bitcoin. <laughs> so thank you for uh, surpassing my expectations. <laughs> Um, you know, one thing you bring up that, you know, is really interesting, too, in terms of how people imagine possibilities going forward is when you talk about fear, you know, you talk about you can easily then move into talking about being reactive and reactivity as something that is not really aligned with thinking in terms of abundance. And like, what does it mean to, you know, I, I don't I don't know as much about freelancers, obviously, as you do, but what does it mean to say you know, I hate everything around me, so I'm going to go strike out on my own as your starting place versus kind of nullifying all of that, thinking about what you really want to be doing even, and then just figuring out what makes sense. Um, so it's not in a non-reactive way. You may end up still doing it you know, solo for a while, but for, for very different reasons. And um, so to that end, but David, I don't know if you saw this morning on Slack, but one of our um, clients forwarded... Uh, an article about hiring that I'll, I'll not quote, you know, where it is or who it is, but it's, um, the whole opening is basically like hiring is so dumb. I mean, come on, like they come in, they're bullshitting, you're bullshitting. And then you spend like an hour together and then you hire them. That's crazy. So instead you should do this. And it was like, do something else after, right. Or in addition to the, the pro forma thing that sucks, then you're going to go do this other thing, which is that'll be the secret that gets you the person you really need. You know, um, and it was one of those things where I'm going, yeah, you're identifying all sorts of silliness um, and pain. For whatever reason, that's the starting point of where, like, you're taking that for granted and then using that vantage point as like, okay, so because that happened, now we're going to do this. And I'm like, why is it because that happened? Just don't do that. <laughs> you already said so. And the, and the point is, like, it's not silly, like, hey, we got to get really, like, we've got to reinvent the wheel. And, and it's really hard. It's like, okay, some things are maybe not intuitive, but they're not complicated, right? You know, if you're setting yourselves up, for example, formally to have a BSE conversation where it's like, well, are you sitting on one side of the table with three people and, like, you know, folding your arms like judges? And then are they coming in and putting on a show? Are you putting one on back? Like, nothing that you've set up in the simplest of terms is designed in any way to get you what you want. And you know that, but for whatever, well, for a lot of reasons, you know, you're doing it, but you're going, it's not, it's not even that complicated in a certain sense. It's very simple. Like, okay, don't do it in the war room. 
You know what I mean? Like, don't name your room the war room, you know, first of all, your conference room or whatever, things like that. You know, don't don't set up these sorts of things that are already, as a starting point, taking something you know you don't want to do for granted when it's very easy to avoid. I think this is a great point. And actually, as, as both of you are talking, I was reflecting that one of the things that's been an evolution for me over the last year or so is, you know, we, we primarily are working with companies. I'm spending most of my day for the listeners at home. I'm spending most of my day with founders, leaders of, you know, these growing startups and talking from their perspective about the team members they're seeking to bring on. And then we'll talk to candidates who are in line for that. But of late, I've taken more time to just talk to people who are job seekers or in career transition or have questions um, who I get referenced by various people. And one of the things I've realized is some of them will talk. And I think, Michael, this is kind of to, to your point, Anita, to your point as well, that they're in jobs they don't like. They say, I, they start with, I don't like my job. It doesn't do this, this or this for me. And therefore, I'm going to seek another job. And a lot of times that's totally logical also. One of the things I found, and that was me, right? Before I did Team Theory, I was in a job and I was like, well, I don't like this, this, or this about it. And these are all excellent reasons to not do it. As I talk to some of these people about their jobs and what they'd like and don't like about it, it's, it's become clear to me that just, just by nature of my remove, right, from not being inside of the body of the person experiencing the job and having to do it and only that... I see things they don't see at first blush um, when I just consider the truth. Like I totally on my right hand can see the things that are stinky about their days and don't align. But on the left hand, I see really interesting opportunities. You know, I was talking to, you know, a woman who is super bright, super capable, has this job that sounds really cool, has cool opportunities, but she's just getting some pushback from her team. On the other hand, though, I'm like, oh my God, the pushback they're getting is really interesting. It's actually not irrelevant. And the opportunity behind that pushback, like if she could get to the other side of it, she could do a really cool thing. It's a really cool people-based experiment that I'm like really excited about. And I guess the point for me is part of the abundance mindset or deficit mindset or however we're going to try this on or doing a simple... I agree with you, Michael. A lot of the things that are... It's not complex to what you're doing. It's not rocket science. It's still hard to do a thing you don't know about. And I think part of the deficit mindset that when I first started exploring this mindset, this context is you're missing out on truth, right? You're missing out on reality. And that's a bummer, right? And yeah, there's lots of reasons we do that. But like, I do this all the time. You know, I do this constantly where I'm just like only seeing one side of something. And I think there's so much lightness and discovery and cool innovation when you can see both sides. And what I have to say is a lot of the clients I meet who I think are the most successful, just do this, right? They're just better. They deal... They're, as a result, they have lower highs and higher lows. They're just riding through stuff. A sales call doesn't go well. And they were like, that was fascinating. I didn't expect that. And now I'm processing why. There's, a, there's gold here. And other people who struggle a bit more, you know, sort of take it more personally. And they're like, well, I screwed up and I didn't, didn't do this well. Um, just, just to tie that all together, I think it's just hard to... Especially when it's about you and you're so invested and you're living in it. I just have so much empathy for people who are in that space. Can I give an anecdote to back this up? Just yeah. I talked to a friend of mine about actually a, a desire for a job change. This is a couple weeks ago. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's not even just that like, you know, every coin has two sides and don't see the one side, see the other. It's like, there are things in this world besides coins. <laughs> right? 
there's roller coasters, there's Panama, there's all sorts of stuff. Like, so, so here's the conversation almost verbatim. It was this, like, concise. He's like, can you help me talk about, talk through changing my career? I was like, absolutely. Like, tell me about it. What are you, what are you thinking? And she says, I need a job where my boss doesn't play mind games with me. Yes, of course. You know, grinning a little bit, but, but there's a side of it that's very sinister. It is not funny, right? It's like, it's like saying, I need someone who doesn't hit me. It's like, yes. I mean, yes, that's, of course. But that's not anything about what you need or what you seek or what, like, the positive side of your, of, of your being is engaged with and wants to be engaged with. And for whatever reason, I mean, there's... And, situation that is going to be a bazillion, I'm sure. Like, you know, to bring it back to this one friend, it's like, that is the total horizon of consideration when even talking about changing careers. It's like, I don't like this, you know, one specific boss. I don't like this one specific part about how she treats me. I need not that. Wow. So I would just like to try to tie some of these threads together. I mean, it's all super interconnected already, but I feel like if you take this historical and evolutionary perspective and bringing in the references of, of World War II and, and, and World War I and how much unprocessed grief is in the collective of just like, wow, look at how much of humanity just really suffered in this, this event and, and that that ends up being sort of the soil in which you plant the seeds of, of whatever, the last 70 years or so like yeah a lot of good came out of that as well for sure and if we keep, if we stay in this evolutionary perspective like some of what david brought about you know if you have a bad conversation and something you know in a sales call or whatever doesn't go well you can you can be like wow that's precious i can take that and implement it in in the learning process that i'm undergoing and i can do better next time you know or some people just struggle with that and they're like, damn, I screwed that up. And, and they get like sort of stuck in that or whatever. And the person that Michael's referring to is kind of, is, is very much in that mindset. Is like, this thing sucked and I want it to suck less, you know, rather than, okay, so these are all the things I can take and I can move forward in a really positive direction. And I'm going to still be in this place of I have an infinite amount to learn and that's going to remain the case forever. And, and so I'm just going to keep navigating it as best I can. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in a growth mindset about this. The thing is that when people are on one side of the table, three people in the war room with their arms folded and like looking at the other dude and setting up this kind of theater it's not getting at the truth of the situation in the way David's bringing it. It's not getting at reality. And it's like, if you're staying at some level above reality, because in fact, you just want to put on a show and put up a front and, and have armor bumping into armor, you're going to get, keep, keep getting the same results you've always gotten. And it's going to be the same ones that are deeply connected to tragedies of our past. And it's like, no, if you want, if you want the new day that's on the horizon, with you know, with a little nod to, to Oprah's key phrase there, which is one that I love. Yeah, Oprah twenty twenty. Right. Then then start recognizing how these things set you up for for failure or for success, and and what the mindset actually looks like that you're making a conscious choice about how you do things rather than it being just a product of how things have always been done. Just, just to respond to 
something like all of you said, a thread that I hear is, I mean, I think some of the questions here is what's a sustainable source of motivation and creativity? And, you know, if it's only the negativity, right? Like, if it's only, like, here's what I don't want, and it's not, if you don't drop down to the, to the levels beneath that, okay, why might I not want that? Like, how do you engage with resistance and the misalignment thing? So a lot, in, in my experience, and this was my personal experience, part of why I left the traditional world of work was just simply because the best way I could articulate it at the time was I felt misaligned. You know, and there were things underneath that I felt underutilized, which as I unpacked that, I was like, I feel not fully self-expressed and not creative. You know, and that led to this reflection, like, does that mean I'm not creative, or does it mean I'm not in the conditions? Which is something I think uh, Michael might have been talking about, but like, I'm, I'm not in an environment where the conditions are evocative of my creativity and my capacity to self-express. Okay, so is that about me? Is that about the environment? You know, I, I think some of this, some of what gets um, uh, tricky is that when you're inside of the environment where you feel the misalignment, and I think it's one of the reasons people leave the environment, because it's really hard to have that dialogue for many people inside of that environment in, in sort of a uh, clearer way. Like, what is the source of my misalignment? Sometimes you've got to leave it to be able to actually have that perspective. Um, and, you know, there's there's an exodus that happens. It's a product of, I think, one of the reasons people really is they're trying to figure out, like, what is this misalignment? What is that? Um, so, but, but it takes some courage to do that, right? Like, to respond to that. Um, and so I think that's part of the sustainable, like, part of, it, it can't be that alone. It can't be mm-hmm. the engagement with the negativity. It can't be just, like, um, being there at the top of the superficial layers of negativity. There's got to be a deeper engagement and unpacking. And then on, on the flip side, there's sort of the crowding in of like the possibility, right? Like what is actually possible? And I think it's actually the cycle. I mean, this is my experience as an entrepreneur, but just like there is a cycle of going through both parts of that experience that ultimately do, it, it's the ability and the mindset. And, and David, you reference this, like it's a growth mindset that fuels and allows for you to stay in that creative, generative cycle, such that you can continue to be motivated and create. Uh, and I think our sources of motivation inside of the world of work today are, I, you know, having three dudes sit across from you is like that <laughs> in the environment you just described. Like, like, I don't, I don't think that's motivating for those people. Right? There's not a lot of curiosity. There's not a lot of mutual exchange. There's not learning. Not a sense of being valued or you know being equitable. There's not a presumption that you are already like creative and have something to offer. Um, yeah, stop. Nita, what what I love about that comment there is that that's a lovely illustration of the difference between abundance mindset and full of shit. (laughs) Um, Like you can still call out truths. Like you said, like these things are not in existence. That's not deficit mindset. That's just reality. But okay, so here's the other thing. And I do want to bring a bit of a bright spot to it because first of all, Nita, I think you're totally right. As an entrepreneur, like working with entrepreneurs, I see so much of myself in their own experience. And I see people hitting a wall, I see them realizing they're hitting a wall and then getting a ladder and going over it. And I think that cycle in one way or another, we all go through and our ability to sort of be skillful first in recognizing where we're at and then giving that space. And before we find tools, I think is, is amazing. Uh, and, and something I really struggle with speaking to tools. I want to give a quick, small example on the hiring front of how in spite of the overwhelm, right. To go from like, 
oh my God, Nazis or Fallujah to what do we do in terms of like, you know, and I, cause I do think that's real. I do think there are, so, I do think there is at a high level, there is like communal, uh, national sort of grief that we are processing. I totally agree with that. And yet I'm also amazed at how subtle things can actually put people back on track or put them on a track they didn't know they could be on. I'll give you an example. We advocate that you need to go beyond a job description and hiring. If you want to find the exact right fit for someone for your company, even in the midst, and especially in the midst of this sort of miasma of change and a sea of uncertainty for your business, there are things you can ground yourself to that will put you in a lot better position to find the exact right person for you versus what we've been talking a lot about, which is guessing. So the way we do this with our clients um, is we do what's called a deep dive. We jump in with them and really get to the heart of their business, what makes them special. We prioritize it so they feel like they understand the things that are m- even more important. And lastly, what, what makes them, you know, where do they want to go in terms of aspirations? We're already great at this. How can we build on those strengths? And we do this in the form of a workshop. You know, it's 60 to 90 minutes. We really get into the heart of role. And based on that, we're able to do a bunch of other awesome stuff meet people who actually fit the specifications, aren't just qualified, right? The team, um, and, then, and then go on to work with matching. I made a very small change recently to this process, which I've probably done over 200 times in the last three years. I've done this a lot. And I was like, how do I get people... How do I just do a trick to basically get them out of this? I don't want someone who's toxic and who's bad and who is too short and who is too tall and who doesn't have enough Python and who has too much Pythons. They have a terrarium of pythons, right? Like, how do, we, how do we trick that? And I started with two things. I said, what's going great for you guys right now? What's the thing you're the most proud of? And how does that speak to the mission and who you're trying to become? And I start with that. And then when we start talking about candidates, instead of saying, read me the you know, laundry list of things that, that would be good and not bad, why is this a dream job for someone? Why are they going to take a pay cut to do this? Why are they going to take a risk? This is a risky venture in some way. We only work with new, somewhat risky ventures. Why are they going to do something different? And it's been really fun. I don't think this is the answer to, again, how we don't have a repeat of going into Fallujah and not understand guerrilla warfare. But how do we... um, People are just more positive. They're talking about positive stuff, and it's easier to transition that. If I ask the next question, and what are attributes of someone you think this would be a dream job for? I'm just finding they're saying things that are more positive, right? It's, it's less about scarcity, fear. They, I don't want an alcoholic, right? And more, it's like, I want someone who's like, shares my passion for education, shares my passion. Like, is the kind of person who wants to work with me late? Cause I'm, I'm a night owl. A lot of people don't like this, but I really love this. And it'd be really cool if I could like text them later at night. Cause I have good ideas then. That's awesome. Right. Um, which it's, but it's, it's amazing to me that like some very small structural things can like kind of, I, I believe in tricks a little bit, right? I believe that we can do the big work of really deeply understanding who we are in relation to humanity and our communities, but also like a, 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 a well-situated trick every now and again really like helps. And I, I guess I've been the benefit of that too. So I'm, I'm a believer in it. Well, so there's kind of like raise the dialogue thing again. And here's where, tri- I, I mean, in my opinion, you know, Dialogue with another person, and this is where you talk, start talking about relationship and, and, and just relational you know, being versus other you know, transactional ways of dealing with the world and people and whatnot, um, really comes in place. Like, there is something, you know, 
Tricks are great. They're really great when someone you're in dialogue with, like, gives you one at the right time and you probably don't know it. Like, that's very different than a worksheet. Oh, you know, it's like when you make a new friend at college or like you make one of those like fast or like traveling abroad or, you know, something like that or at summer camp, but like one of those fast, but it gets very deep connections with someone, even if it's something that doesn't last longer than, you know, the summer or whatever. That reason you feel so connected, so much of that is like you're sharing whatever. Yeah, that's what it, that's what's going on. Right. But I'm like revealing stuff to you. You're revealing stuff to me. I feel like I understand things better. It's not like isolated, it's not ratifying what you already know, right? It's not like data points or just like, oh, those are the 50 capitals of the United States. Yes. You know, it's like, no, you might be, you might not say anything that is, is you know, factual or you can pin down exactly what the chain of logic was. It's just something about being in dialogue with another person, the sequence of thoughts and feelings or whatever makes you feel opened up and makes you think of yourself in a different way. And it's in a way that if you're lucky, you know, you feel good about that. You're like, yeah, that's actually more it. It's not less. And I think it's when that happens to you naturally, it's, it's really, um, really meaningful. What's hard is if, the, if that is the kind of you know, going deeper that uh, a situation requires and, you know, someone's trying to push you there or you need to be pushed to go be a little more self-reflective, let's say, and you're not ready for it, or you, you know, because of fear, because it's some something in that deficit zone, whatever it is. Um, that's where it's like, yeah, you can go read all the books in the world, you can do all the worksheets and get all the tricks. Um, and it won't necessarily work. Um, you do need a dialogue partner of some kind, and or partners, and which doesn't say it has to be somebody. Hey, you know, it can be a friend, it can be whatever, it can be a coworker, but like. You have to be open to that kind of experience, I think, for a lot of for a lot of what we've been talking about to really take place in the world. Um, and that's what I think is so tricky and why it is so important to Yeah, a well-timed trick is not a trick. It's a well-timed trick. You know what I mean? And the well time of the well part is um, critical, and that's where the art is, really. I I feel one of the ways that I like to look at this sort of thing that that is in the air of our conversation is having a fluidity of repertoire and you're willing to go very deep when it's necessary and see like exactly where the root causes lie. But then you're also able to address the moment through a more surface level thing, but is absolutely called for to sort of reorient the dialogue or the conversation or whoever you're having it with. And I think from my point of view, based on the research that I've been engaged with for quite a period of time now, it's that we have a tendency to not want things to be situational, like in the human psyche. We want to kind of find solutions that are the solution that are applicable across, like, hopefully all situations. And that's just, life is too diverse for that. It's too vast. And so it calls for this higher level of thinking that allows us whatever the situation is and whatever the variables are, to be able to change what's called for in the moment. And so some of why I like to emphasize the depth element is because some of that hardening, some of that rigidity is, is really looking at problems on a very superficial level and staying inside the known references, you know? So everything that you guys are talking about, to me, is entirely oriented to hope 
because it's saying it's it's about how can we create value for each other through the fact that some of us have investigated things more deeply than others. You guys are like 99% expert, above 99% of how deeply people have thought about hiring. And so it's like, of course I want to hire you if I'm ever in a situation where I need support with that. It's like recognizing the greatness of what you guys bring and then helping me to expand the repertoire that I'm able to call on rather than my known references. And so I think if we're able to see that and we're able to see the greatness and value that the other can bring, that automatically starts opening our, our minds to, to something broader than deficit. Because when we're in deficit, we're only in our known references and dialogue is non-existent, you know? So that's some of, how, some of how I process where we're at right now in this conversation. To respond to that, I like that our tone has shifted a little bit to like hope and solutions and uh, possibility <laughs> from some grappling with like with, you know the contours of what we're solving for. Um, a few responses. Yeah, uh, we have a service that we call now called Radical Arc, which supports founders and co-founders um, in their relationship to each other, which we feel is like. A term we reference is emotional efficiency and the relationship between investing in emotional efficiency and your bottom line. Like, there is a direct relationship. If you're not functioning effectively as, uh, you know, in the way that you relate to each other, in the way you communicate in the work environment, that has really logical, but I think for many people it's not super clear at the outset. Uh, it has very tangible impacts on the way you utilize your time. Um, it has impacts on your creativity because it impacts how you feel emotionally. And thus, it impacts your productivity, what you're able to create, and then how you're able to deliver on that. So, um, this idea of like uh, investing in our relations and the, the possibility of what arises from that, and then the relationship between co-creation and pushing into the unknown is one of the things, or one of the ways in which I was pulling together some of the threads from what you guys are talking about. I think, you know, when we move in, we're in a moment of a certain um, in order to create something new, there's a direct relationship between creating something new and and having the courage and the capacity and the support to push into the unknown. A really simple way to think about what creativity is is it's creating something unknown from what was previously known or from nothing else. I don't know, maybe from something that's unknown. Um, and so if we're going to, you know, solve for this work issue, and if we're going to solve even at the personal level for how we experience work, and both what we're able to create in ways that are actual contributions to our collective evolution. Um, I think it really behooves us to invest in the front end on things like our relationship, uh, our relationships to each other, and in the ways in which, you know, and to bring a lot of consciousness to the idea of co-creation. I think one of the things, to, to step a little bit into your realm of expertise, uh, for you guys, you know, that's a struggle in the hiring experience, is there's this presumption of, like, hierarchy. In the relationship, it's like I'm going in. I'm, you know, I'm going in to interview for a job, and I'm subordinate to you. And if I walk in with that subordinated mindset, there, there are all sorts of, I think, challenges that kind of suit, right? And they, and that sense of disempowerment, I think, that allows me to not, for example, as a candidate, not just as how and how I can fit into your paradigm for work, but also what is it that I'm seeking that's going to allow me not to feel like Right, so this idea that there's like a mutuality to the collection of the fit process. 
that's another, that's a specific way in the hiring context to think about co-creation. Like, it is a co-creative process. It's a collaborative process. This is also true in the consulting model. Like, we're consulting to a company on, on involving the world of work, a consciousness that we can't come in as experts uh, without, our, our expertise is very limited and hamstrung unless we're open to understanding your context, really being in um, an effective dialogue with you. Um, last, the last thought here is just the idea of the issue of like the locus of control. Part of why I think about, and you kind of spoke to this, Bishan, the idea of like, you know, having this repertoire of tools that are appropriate to be able to apply to situations and dynamic, you know, situations are so dynamic. The dynamism of situations is challenging. And at the same time, I like to think about like, what can we actually control for that allows us to encounter the dynamism of being entrepreneurs, working in the world, or simply living, um, that just kind of eases our, eases our effort as we navigate that. And that, that's part of why self-development, you know, and an engagement at the individual level with yourself, doing things like engaging with your fear and that work feels really important to me. What's in my locus of control is how I show up and respond to any given situation. What's out of it is how you show up, right? And it's like, where is the most efficient like place I can put my energy to maximize you know, the possibility? Well, I love, um, you know, the, the well, point you kind of brought up um, about hiring, you know, but, but sort of a lot of things in being a co-creative process, you know, I would kind of underscore what you kind of indicated, which is like, that's what it is, whether you admit it or not. So the question is, are you going with, you know, as far as creativity and unknowns, so like, no, 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 that's a, that's a known thing that you're disavowing, right? And what you should be doing is taking the unknowns, you know, taking, uh, let, me, let me back up. What you should be doing is basically planning for the things that you do know and being congruent with that reality so that, so that the things you don't know, you can explore from a much more anchored uh, position. You know, if you're going to go in to get an interview and say, we're going to BS our way through it, they're obviously BSing their way through it because that's what, you know, quote, unquote, what candidates do, let's say. Um, which is, you know, your idea and your projection of, of um, you're trying to expand your locus of control to include their behavior. Um, apparently you're a mind reader now. You're doing that instead of dealing with the fact that you're both in a co-creative process through which you choose each other. And what you don't do is say, hey, we're in a co-creative process by which we choose each other. So what would make that better? What would make that task easier? What would make that task, you know, more fun to do? Whatever, right? What would fulfill that task in a much, uh, a much superior way to this thing that I already know going in, I don't like. And there's something about saying, well, but if I do just pretend that this thing I don't like is reality and that it can't be changed, at least then I can set up personally you know, this, all of these ideas and, and expand my sense of my own control to say, well, that's what it is. So I'm not going to, I'm going to disavow the unknowns that are there and I'm going to feel more certain in what I'm doing. And well, I'll get that kind of personal stability, even if I won't get a good outcome in this actual, you know, interaction because of the, because of the way I'm approaching it. I, I love what you just said, Michael, about how that is 
you know, that's true whether you're willing to admit it to yourself or not about relation. That was brilliant. It is, it's like, to me, one of the phrases you might say captures the essence of the growth mindset that's come up a lot in our conversation until now is uh, the title of Gandhi's autobiography, which is the story of my experiments with truth. And it's, it's almost like the truth is, there's so, you know, it's so great and it's so amazing and any given one of us can only have limited access to an understanding of reality. And so no less of one of the greatest men who ever lived termed it as you just need to experiment with truth, you know? And so if there's some people that haven't conducted enough experiments to understand that relationships are going to drive your business, then it's time to conduct that experiment. And it's like, and if you've already conducted that experiment and you get that, what's the next experiment that you can conduct? And if, and if you have played with your hiring process and it's not working, then that might be a good time to call in an expert scientist by virtue of the fact that they've experimented with that. If you need to, and they understand that deeply in their experience, which is different than if you read it in a book somewhere. And it's like, and if you and if you need help to to get more productive and get more creative and get more innovative, and and you're sort of at a loss, then maybe consider hiring somebody that knows the root causes of of where that comes from, why that exists, why those blocks are there. And so it's it's a this is how a dynamic new economic reality can also emerge because we're recognizing that some people just really get things better than we get them. And by our willingness to invest in them and see their value, our own ability to create value expands. And then the, the thing that we're good at offering to the other, we're getting better and better at, and more people are being able to recognize it. And it's like, I have this vision, you know, need to ask this question about worktopia sometimes. What does a new economy really look like? To me, it's a human symphony where everybody's in the right seat playing the right instrument and hitting the right notes, you know? And, and maybe that sounds like super idealistic, but that's the vision that drives me. It's like, how do we move more and more that direction? More and more in that direction. How do we do that? You know, so that's the question that I'm, I'm asking and I feel like we're playing with all the time. Prashant, I, I love that idea. One thing I think about is the other metaphors from nature or that we can use instead, say, of war. And one of them um, is the human body. And one of the things that's interesting about that is part of what's cool about the human body is, and Nita, I think, and Michael, this goes back to your point about both how we view our relationship to each other and what role we presume. And if, especially this is a challenge with hierarchy, um, and I'm, I'm, cri I'm cribbing from someone else on this, but, you know, if you take your arm, there's a lot going on there, right? There's cells in the hand, right? Then there's the hand itself and the arm. Well, well, the arm doesn't undervalue the hand. The arm's like, hand, you're so great, right? I may even call you handy. And the hand understands that without cells, it is nothing, right? And we don't do that to each other enough. We don't do that with each other. We don't recognize our essential place. And I think one of the things I love about your, um, the thing about a symphony, I mean, Michael, this is more your background than mine, but like everyone has a part to play. And when we all play it, it sounds amazing together. And these are not mutually exclusive aims, right? It, it's not about who gets to be what it's like, we'll play your music and I'll play it with you and it'll, you know, we'll all play together. So 
I think, I think the future of humanity is definitely about being in your right place for you. But it's also about the idea that when you're in your right place for you and I'm in right, my right place for me, good stuff happens between us, right? There is a byproduct of that that goes beyond our individual contribution. Um, you know, I, I can throw a pitch or something good happens with my arm, right? That I couldn't do as cells, uh, hands and, and arm. There's, there's one thing that I would underscore here, or I feel like is really important to draw distinction between is, and, 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 you know, several um, of the comments you made, David, and, and David, you made as well, and Prashanta, you know, were, you know, made reference to the fact that we're talking about individuals ultimately. Um, you know, everyone has a part to play, but it also has to be coming from a sort, it has to be coming from the place their individuality comes from, because you don't want to be like, um, you know, what's the, what's the Korean movie where it's, it's on a train and the whole world is frozen and everything's on a train until the swing has false teeth in it and all of this stuff. And it's like, a Snowpiercer got a bunch of children who are basically like, this is going to make no sense out of context, but just suffice it to say that like, there'll be children who have a job to do, quote unquote, which is like, you're the, you turn this one crank. That's what you do. That's your life. Right. Um, and that's obviously not. So it's like everyone has their part to play, and by doing it together, the train you know continues to run indefinitely. But that's sort of the antithesis of of Michelle, what you're talking about. And um, you know, when you when you talk about growth mindset in general, I mean, and I think to bring it back to why things do need to be in dialogue and you do need an actual relation there is because you know the starting point, obviously, for any journey is you know you and where you're at right now. But um, naturally it's so difficult for people to admit where they are as it is, you know, no good, no bad. Just like, this is where we're starting. Um, I don't know how many times we'll, for example, talk to someone who's like looking to hire, um, let's say this happened multiple times with a marketing role. And they're like, yeah, just being able to accept your own, your current starting point as exactly what it is without judgment is really important. And, um, and the example of that, that I was just thinking of is, um, We've had multiple marketing roles where we've gone in and we've been like, you know, okay, what are you looking for? And then they'll say, well, I don't know what to do for this, you know, so this one specific issue. And we'll be like, why? And they'll be like, well, because I'm not sure if in the future we need this for our marketing or that or that. So I don't know what I want. So I can't hire for this role. And I'm like, are you a marketer? And they're like, no. And I'm like, is this a question a marketer could solve? And they're like, yes. I'm like, so why don't you hire this person to solve that problem? Instead of presuming that you should already know it to pick, you know what I mean? It's this whole contagion that I should know, but I don't. I feel bad about that. Now I can't pick the best one. If I don't pick the best one because I didn't know something I was supposed to know, everything will be bad and fail and whatever, right? And then the second you're like, okay, cool. So you're not at the place where you get the, you know, you need a super specialist in you know one area or another. You're at the point where you need a flexible generalist who's going to also help you diagnose which of their current skills will be best for, you know, this point, quarter one, but that might change by quarter two already, or even month two. And you need someone who likes that dynamism and is going to love doing it, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And you can kind of see people like relax and go like, oh, yeah, right. This is what they're going to bring. That's the whole point. And like for us to grow very specifically, I mean, not just personally, but as an organization, we need to acknowledge that we don't have this function. We don't. We need to pretend we have it. We need to be open about what we do know, find someone who will interface best with that, and then collectively we'll all grow the most. And then they do great, you know? I, I love what you just described, Michael, and I can't think of 
Um, it kind of goes back to what you said, David, about when you're talking about the body, the ways in which the body is integrated and works as a whole system, which is part of, I feel like, we're talking about that both at the organizational level, right? This acknowledgement. I, I, I mean, I think some of, um, sometimes some of the cause of what you were describing, Michael, like, is in the work environment, people feel put upon. And there's a sense of, like, I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm supposed to be able to do, you know, A through Z in my job description, and then some, or it's not enough. And you know, that's different. It's a very interesting siloed mentality, despite the fact that we're actually, if you think about the organizations we work in, they actually are communities. We don't view them as communities. If we were to view them as a community, like a community orientation is like all hands on deck, you know, you're doing this and I'm doing that, and we're making these mutual contributions that we're creating and co-creating together. Just because you can create something doesn't mean that's a threat to me creating Right? So it's like the diversity mindset of like there's space for different perspectives. Not only is there space, you go to the idea of what's unknown um, and what's likely to be generative when it comes to creating the possibility to solve a certain thing. We're not going to get it if we don't have that diversity. It's one of the ways we approximate truth reality to the point you made earlier, which is like, you know, Non-experiments with truth is one view, and he's a pretty masterful guy. Conducted a lot of experiments, but collectively, right? Like, how, how much closer do we get to an approximation? So, it, just going back to the body, though, and and you know, like this approach we take, which is seems odd to some people about mind, work, uh, spirit as an ecosystem, or to your you know, as a symphony, to your to your metaphor, like as a symphony where there's harmony. In the same way, in organization, or if we're looking at the European level, at the collective level, like if we're each doing our part and we're creating some co-created experience together, um, I'm thinking a lot about how, how untapped so much of the potential in our own systems are, like within the individual is. We're only, I think the only way we're creating or producing something is with our minds. Like, we're not just our minds. Um, we're not just our bodies. And then I use the term spirit to, to reference like what animates and enlivens us. Like, what is your breath? So like what's different in the moments before you pass away, before you're dead, while you're alive? What is that enlivening force? Right? And I think that's the unknown. Um, and so another way to think about the idea of like mind by spirit and engaging them all and the possibility, the greater possibility for unleashing creative potential, you're actually using yourself holistically, and, you know, nurturing, nourishing, and then and then creating more holistically. Like how much more whole are things we're going to create if we create from a more holistic uh, place? And the spirit also, you know, in describing it, like I think everybody has different definitions of it, but to me, it's also somewhat a proxy for the unknown. Like, what is it that enlightens us and connects us, right? It's an interesting thing. Like, if we were to engage this tool we don't understand very well, that it itself is unknown. Maybe it helps us push into the unknown. I like to keep it light, you know. <laughs> I'm very pop culture. It is from, from Hiroshima yes. to Fallujah to death. Bright Spots podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I read it pretty differently, David. I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of 
experimentation with truth mm. in this conversation just by looking at it through different angles. Like, what is the reality we're dealing with? And I think what we're we're dealing with is is social change ultimately. And how does that work on the level of the collective? How does that work on the level of the individual? And and how you know organizations like where people come together is kind of this middle point that's like such a great lever and and these kind of the meeting point between the collective and the individual in many ways. And I feel like you have to look at everything from fear to hope and everything in between to try to get a grasp of what you're dealing with if you want to be effective at making change. And so when you bring in this element of the spirit, uh, for me, it comes back to that always, you know, it's like, and if we're talking about purpose, how do we get more in touch with that? How do we, how do we express more of that? And how, you know, to me, all the broken systems that we see around us are, are an expression of disconnection with that and misunderstanding of that. And that if, as we, as we continue to, to like what, what Michael said earlier, when we, take the opportunity to be exactly where we are without judgment rather than thinking like we should be somewhere else. That's where, that's the place from which pathways open. And so I guess for me, I mean, we're, we're working towards a closing here. I'm, I'm curious to hear closing remarks from the rest of you. But I would just say that what sums this up for me in some way or another is that, is that, there's so much where we do things because it's how we've always done them. And a lot of those things aren't working. And if we understand why those things are working and why other possibilities might be supportive of where we wish to go, then in, in, in a space where people don't need to be like bumping up against each other from the place of protecting themselves and protecting their deeper insecurities and vulnerabilities as being human, but actually that becomes part of the equation, that becomes part of the discussion, it's just part of who everybody is, then it's like, then you're getting more real. And when you get more real, good things happen. You know, like space emerges for, for you to understand reality and then make better choices, you know? And that's, to me, that's as good of an, as any of a definition of what wisdom is understanding reality and making good choices based on that. I think another definition of wisdom is all the stuff you say, Prashant. For those who just want to like go to the source. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. And, and I, I wrote this down as you were talking. Um, the, I've never, I mean, we all work in organizations, but again, this is why it's awesome to have um, peers who you, organizations are the meeting point between individual and collective change. Um, and it's an awesome scale at which to conduct smart, interesting experiments that have the potential to sh have much broader effect. Why, why, if it doesn't work, why can't something that works for the four of us work for 4 million of us, you know, or four mm -hmm. continents of mm -hmm. us, right? Why not? Um, that was awesome. Yay. I love that yes, I agree. Um, I'm just going <laughs> to share that I'm quite inspired by this experience. There is something very magical about um, two facets qualities of this conversation, like guest appropriation. Uh, this was an appropriated conversation, and this is just us winging it. 
um, meeting ourselves where we are and then meeting each other in that same capacity. Um, and uh, um, diversity. Like, I, just, I think when I think about what is essential uh, for the future, we have to commit our energy to creating spaces where we are not threatened by our diversity, but where we, we actually leave, like, diversity is a condition of that environment. I think that's essential. Um, really another simple way of saying, like, how do we accept all of us in all of our dimensions? Like, we are the diversity. Right? Like, it was awesome conversation. I mean, I'll just piggyback on what you said, because I liked that. But it really reflects a theme, and, and Nita, to your point about diversity as well, um, in, in a way, you know, getting more real and more in touch with reality on an individual level, certainly on a, you know, different types of group, scales of group levels, um, society, um, getting in touch and getting real about certain aspects of that, such as, like, the fact that it is a diverse place in all senses of the word, whether you understand it or acknowledge it or not. Again, all journeys forward start from where you are right now. So if you are, you know, not going to be really sort of circumspect about where that is and investigate what is actually going on there, then you're going to have a harder time. You know, like reality, real you is the one making the trip, whether you like it or not. Like not, there's no fake you that's making the trip. That might be, you know, if you tell yourself that story, then, you know, whatever. But that doesn't change what's actually happening. So, you know, the more, um, and again, in terms of uh, locus of control, if you want to imagine that you control these other things, which, you know, you don't, that's fine. You can expand your locus of control if you focus on where it actually is. Right? And, and certainly, if you start talking now about, like, positive change and the need for it, it is important that, you know, you investigate that, that one investigate that. So we're coming to a close here of this wonderful conversation, wide-spanning conversation with four different perspectives, yet on some fundamental level, pretty united perspectives, I would say. And we've had Dita Baum of Be Free and David Osborne and Michael Lyon of Team Theory here with me today. And so thank you so much for listening. And if there's any encouragement to leave you with it's just to take a moment and see where you're at and see how tuning in with where you're at what the feelings are that are there what's what's where is fear motivating you where is hope motivating you and how can you orient more towards the better side of your nature you know and and watch that watch that fear watch that fear so that it doesn't get the best of you um, because we all have it. I have mine for sure. And it's dominated me at times and it's no fun, you know, so, um, and, and the journey continues. So much love to everybody in the audience. Thank you for listening and, uh, and all the best. <laughs>